Hey, this is Pastor Arm, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. Welcome to the second week of Killing Comfort. Are you ready to get uncomfortable this morning? Last week, we talked about the fact that God wants to do things for us sometimes that we miss because we're so comfortable where we are. Think about that. And so God comes in and he'll, he'll start messing things up and he'll start challenging us, but it's not to hurt us or to harm us, it's to stretch us so that he can take us into a new place. How many of you know God doesn't want you to stay stagnant? Stagnant things die. Do you know why the Dead Sea's dead? Because it has an inlet, but no outlet. And so whenever we become stagnant in our lives, stagnant in our business, stagnant in our marriage and relationships, things begin to malfunction. But God today, I believe through the power of his spirit, if you have been stagnant, he is going to breathe new life into you. And so if you have your Bible, go to Exodus, the 20th chapter. I'm going to start reading from verse 1. And we're going to see here where God is starting to give Moses the Ten Commandments. And these 10 laws are the framework for how God is going to relate to his people, how he wants them to relate to him, and how he wants the people to relate with one another. And so Exodus 20, verse 1, the Bible says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God is wanting the people to know that he is the one that has helped them. He is the one that has delivered them. I am the one that has saved you. I am the one that has delivered you. And he's wanting to to make this point very clear that it's not Moses that did it. I used Moses, but it wasn't because of his power. As a matter of fact, it wasn't even Moses' idea. I, the Lord your God, am the one that delivered you. It's not all the gods that you had in Egypt that you've become so familiar with or you've grown accustomed to. I am the Lord your God. And I want you to remember that when you were in need and when you cried out, I'm the one that showed up. How many of you in your life, and you don't have to raise your hand, you've cried out to God and he has shown up? The question is, what have you done with that? Have you turned that deliverance into praise or have you turned that deliverance into your pride and you forget about what he's done and start living your own way again? Hello? Talking about getting uncomfortable in here this morning. Many times God does something for us and as soon as he moves, as soon as he delivers, as soon as he saves, as soon as he sets free, we turn our back and we start going our own way, forgetting what he accomplished for us. And God's saying, don't do that. Remember, I am the Lord your God. I am the one that delivered you. I am the one that brought you out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. In other words, you need to put me first in your life. I need to be a priority. He says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above 
or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Now, while God is talking to Moses, while he is telling them that you're not going to have any other gods before me, while he is in the midst of speaking to Moses about not building idols, the people are at the foot of the mountain talking to Moses' brother Aaron, and they are asking him to build for them an idol because they want a God that they can see and touch. They want a God that they can relate to the way that they want to relate to him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? They want a God that they can move around, a God that they can lead, a God that they can form into the image that they want him to look like, and not a God who's going to lead them and form them and carry them. And I want you to stop and think about this, because how many times do we try to form God into someone that we can relate to the way we want to relate to him versus the way he has determined we're going to relate to him. How many of you know you don't just come to God in any other way, in, in, just any way you want? But we do. We, we decide how we're going to relate to God. I determine how I'm going to worship. I determine where, when, how I'm going to worship. I determine how I'm going to honor God. I determine how I will recognize God. I determine who I will even worship with. Do you know there's a lot of denominations that have been developed simply because the people decided that they wanted to worship the way they wanted to worship. Or they decided they wanted to worship with who they wanted to worship with. I want to worship with people who look like me. I want to worship with people who are on my same uh, status, they look like me, they act like me, they think like me, they talk like me, they've got the same color of skin as me. That's who I want to worship with. As a matter of fact, somebody told me years ago, they said, the church that I'm going to, a lot of African Americans have started coming in and it makes me uncomfortable. And if this continues, I'm going to find somewhere else to worship. Are you hearing that? I'm going to determine who I want to worship with and how I'm going to worship, not based upon what God's word has said, but based upon what I feel. And a lot of us do this. Aaron obliged them. He took their gold, their jewelry, he threw it in a fire and created for them a God that they could relate to the way that they wanted to relate to him. They chose their comfort over God's desire. Now I'm going to jump ahead in the story to Exodus, the 32nd chapter, where they've developed this idol, and now Moses is going to come down from the mountain. He's going to see what's going on. Exodus 32, 19. The Bible says, and as soon as he, talking about Moses, came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it into powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, 
What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, hey, let not the anger burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. They said to me, watch this, make us, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out. So immediately, they are identifying Moses as the one who delivered them. And they're saying, we don't know what's happened to Moses. And so we need you to create a God for us that we can put our worship on. A God that we can look at, a God that we can touch, a God that we can relate to the way that we want to relate to him. Because we don't know what has happened to this Moses. And so I said to them, let any of you that have gold take it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. Which is funny to me. Because Aaron's just like, man, I just took the gold and threw it in the fire. This is what came out. Like, it just happened. And as odd as it seems and as funny as it may be, I think sometimes we read stories like this and we remove ourselves from the narrative. We look at what people did in Scripture and we go, well, I would never have done that. You know, Peter denied Jesus. I would have never done that. I would have been a follower to the end. You know, Israel, they... They forgot about God. I mean, just this is like days after God's delivered them. This isn't like years later. This is days after God's delivered them, and they're already building idols. I would have never done that, but if we want to get really honest, we actually do it all the time. We develop idols for ourselves, things, places, uh, hobbies, relationships, money. All these things become idols. And just like, just like, Israel took their gold and their jewelry and threw it into the fire to create for themselves a God. What we do is we take our ideas, we take our thoughts, we take our feelings, we take our desires, we throw them into the fire, we mix it up, and we create our own God. A God who we can relate to the way I want to relate to him. Not based upon his desire, not based upon what he's deserved, to determined, but based upon how I feel. So I say things like, well, I can worship God however I want to worship. I don't have to raise my hands. I don't have to sing out loud. I can do what I want. I can honor God however I want to. I mean, God understands. He knows I'm shy. He knows, like, if I'm in the shower, I'll sing. You know? If my favorite song comes on the radio, I'll, I'll sing if I'm by myself. But when it comes to getting together with corporate worship, and no, it's not me. Now, if I'm at a football game, I will take this shirt off. I will paint my chest, and I will scream for my team. But when I get in the church, you know, God understands that, that I just, I like things to be a little more reserved. I, I feel like God understands the fact that I want to worship with all white people. Actually, more specifically, I want to worship with people who are a quarter Armenian and the rest just mixed of whatever. You know, that's, 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 and God knows. I mean, God understands, right? God understands that that's what I prefer. And, and, and after all, doesn't God just want to make me happy? I mean, isn't that what God's about? God's about making me happy and doing what makes me comfortable. As a matter of fact, I really don't think God cares if I even go to church. I mean, God knows it's, it's between he and I. It has nothing to do with, 
with coming to a building. So God understands, like, Sunday's fun day, man. Like, Saturday, we, we, we go out, we do our stuff, but we got chores. So Sunday's the day for me to sleep in. Sunday's the day for us to have PJs and pancakes with the kids. And God gets it. Because God knows I'm so busy during the week, he understands. Or are you following what I'm saying? God understands that, you know, I'll honor him with my finances if I want to or when I want to. Or I'll determine what I'll do. I'll determine what I give. And God gets it because he knows I've got, you know, other desires. He knows that, you know, there's something new that I'm wanting to purchase. And God, God, God understands, uh, you know, hell is just a place that, people made up to scare me into acting right. Just something that my parents told me when I was a kid so that, you know, they could make me clean my room. I mean, but really, my consequences, my actions, they don't, I mean, my, my decisions and actions, they don't have any consequences. I really, I can do whatever I want. And what we've done is we've taken all of our ideas, our concepts, our desires, our feelings, our wants, we've thrown them into the fire, we've mixed them up, and then out comes our God. <laughs> he looks like me. He thinks like me. I can relate to this guy. I like this God. Almighty God, I worship you with all my heart and life. You are a beautiful, beautiful God. Wonderful, perfect in all of your ways. And what happens is when God is made in our image, instead of us being formed into his image, then God even starts sounding a lot like you sound. His voice starts sounding like your desires. Years ago, a friend of mine was in Bible college. First day of Bible college. And he's out in the courtyard and this girl runs up to him and says, God told me that you were going to marry me. And he said, man, this girl was so ugly. I thought, if this is God, I'm going to change religions. That's what he said. That's what he said. <laughs> he didn't say it to her, but this is what he thought to himself. Like, this girl, I'm going to change religions if this is God. But he told her, he was nice to her. He said, I tell you what. He said, when God speaks to me, I'll come and find you. So he goes off and starts playing basketball with his friends. And about half an hour later, he sees his buddy cornered in the courtyard with the same girl. And he hears... God told me that you're going to marry me. See, she's not speaking what God said. She's speaking her desire, and she's saying God said. And we do this all of the time. We use our God as our excuse to get our way. Someone in here today is thinking, God's told me I'm going to marry Pastor Arm. And listen, I'm married. That ain't God. That's your desire to be with a beautiful man. Are you feeling what I'm saying? But we do, we do it all the time. We take our desires like, what do I want? Well, I, you know, I really, I really like to live on the, on the beach. So God's calling me to South Florida. <laughs> I've, had people tell me, I've had people tell me before, God called me to Activation Church. I know that this is where he has me and my family planted. And that's the way they feel until I tell them something from the podium that makes them feel uncomfortable. And now God is leading them into a different direction on their journey in life. You know, our season here at Activation Church has ended and God is leading us to a new place. And then they're gone for a few months and then they come back. You know, I realized that this is where God really wanted us to be and he's planted us here. And they're good for a while and then I say something they don't like and now God is leading them on another journey. 
And the point is this, either God is bipolar or you're not hearing from God. Let me put it this way, you are hearing from God, the one that you've created in your image and in your likeness, the one who agrees with you, the one that agrees with your desires, the one that justifies your lifestyle and your actions. Oh, it's okay for me to do this. God understands. This is the way I was created. This is the way I was designed. It's just, it's in my DNA. Hello? And we start justifying our actions. We start saying God understands. We start saying, you know, God's with me. God's for me. He loves me. And the truth is God does love you. But God loves you where you are so that he can bring you from there. He wants to transform you. He wants to change you. Not into your image and likeness, but into his image and likeness. See, when we create our own God, our God will pamper our feelings. But the true God wants to come and actually heal the wound. So we create a God that sympathizes with what we're going through and is always offering sympathy. But see, the true God came and sympathized with your weakness so that he could bring healing to it, so that you wouldn't have to remain where you are, so that the pain of the past doesn't have to determine your future or the course of your life. Are you following what I'm saying? And when I preach this, I preach this to myself because so many times we create for ourselves a God based upon what we think and feel, not based upon what he has said. I mean... Just the fact that people go, I don't have to go to church, shows me that they have zero clue what the scripture says. They have zero clue why Jesus died. See, a lot of people think that Jesus died so that you could go to heaven. And that is a portion of your salvation. But that's not all of it. Jesus died to develop a body. That body is made up of many members. Look to the person next to you and say, you look like a mini. Now to the person on your other side who's your second choice, say, member. Are you following this? Jesus died so that Paul, I could be connected to you. And Paul, Bob connected. So that we can all be connected as a body so that we can fulfill the purpose for why God created mankind in the first place. It's not just to get us to heaven. It's so that we can become the body, the bride of Christ, his hands and feet on this earth, God working in me and through me to accomplish his will. And we need each other. Never mind the fact that the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. Well, man, I got, you know, I was out late last night. God understands. I'm I'm tired. Does God understand or does your God understand? See, if this is making you uncomfortable right now, that's probably a good thing. Don't don't back away from this challenge. Lean into it and, and start to realize, like, am I serving the living God or am I serving myself? Am I serving my desires and my opinions and my feelings? Listen, I've got a lot of feelings but I've got a lot of feelings that aren't right. Does that make sense to you? So just because I feel it and just because I feel it deeply and just because I sympathize with something does not make it right or correct. And I've got to make a choice. I've got to make a choice. Either I will continue to serve the calf 
or I will destroy it and grind it to powder. Will I allow my feelings and my emotions to lead my life or will I surrender myself to the living God to say, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Paul addresses this kind of attitude in Philippians, the third chapter, verse 17. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, somebody say many. Many. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Think about that. Their God is their belly, their self-interest, what satisfies them, their worldly appetite, their sensuality, their vanity. That is the God they serve. And the Bible says that there will come a time, and I believe that we are quickly approaching this time, where people will become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And you know why? Because your pleasure becomes your God. Whatever satisfies me, whatever makes me feel good, that's what I want, that's what I'll get, and my God, in whom I serve, will justify it and say, it's okay. Are y'all following me this morning? Y'all staying with me? Are y'all still online, or y'all, y'all clicking off to watch Sesame Street? And a lot of times, that's what we want out of church. We want Sesame Street. We want make me feel good. Give me a little puppet show. Do a little song. Do a little dance. Pep rally. Pat me on the butt. Can't do that anymore. Can't pat people on the butt. I don't know when we lost that tradition in the church. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding with you. But you see what I'm saying? Like, we want to be pepped up. We want to be built up. We want to be encouraged. And there is room for that. But there also needs to be these moments where we're challenged. Because the Word of God, the Bible says that the Word of God is not just there to build us and encourage us and strengthen us, but it is there to put us in check. It is there to correct some things and fix some things in our life. The Bible is is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It will stick you and stab you and cut you. But it doesn't cut you to hurt you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It doesn't cut you to hurt you. It cuts you to heal you. So when I speak messages like this, I'm not doing it out of anger. I'm doing it out of love, and I'm doing it even to myself. I have to speak to myself because daily I have the decision to either follow this God or the one true living God. Watch what Paul goes on to say about these kind of peoples, people that have made their God their worldly appetite. 2 Timothy 4.3 For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. That means when you hear true teaching, you won't listen to it. But having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. In other words, Pastor Arm, if you don't say what I like, I'll just find another place. I'll stay home. I'll find a podcast that I can, that I can you know, listen to. And I'll find someone to tell me what I want to hear and justify my actions. And there are churches 
all over the place that will justify anything you want justified now. You can find the teaching that you want, but don't dismiss the truth because you have desire. Are you following that? See, truth is truth whether you dismiss it or not. If the doctor tells me that I have high cholesterol, I can ignore the doctor and say, well, I'm not going to go back to a doctor because I don't like what they tell me about myself. But all I'm going to do is destroy me because my cholesterol is still high until I do something about it. Are you following what I'm saying? Many times we come into a church environment and God's word comes and it speaks to us and it's trying to penetrate our heart. But instead of receiving it, we harden our heart, we reject it, and we act as if there's no problem. But the most loving thing I can say to myself and to you is sometimes we got problems. The the bridge is blown out in front of our train. There's destruction headed our way and we need a solution. Are you following me? I met with a pastor several years ago before I started activation. I just started. And I didn't know this guy, but he had a church that was kind of growing in the area. And so he told me, he said, Arm, he said, if you want your church to grow, never challenge anyone. And I thought, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Because the word of God is challenging. And I can't read the Bible with a highlighter in one hand and a whiteout marker in the other. And that's what we want to do a lot of times. We want to highlight and memorize the parts that we like and white out the parts that we don't like. Or we'll find something that we like and pull it out of context to justify what we want to do. Does that make sense? And Augustine of Hippo, who is one of the old church fathers, said this. If you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it is not the gospel you believe, but yourself. I want to say that one more time. Think about this. If you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it is not the gospel you believe, but yourself. And if we're honest today, we've all done this at one point or another. We've shifted things to match how we feel, how we desire, what we want, never considering what has God said. Let's go back to worship. There are ways that we worship God. There are ways that we praise God. There are ways that we approach God in prayer. Jesus is not your homeboy. You hear what I'm saying? Doesn't mean he doesn't want to be your friend. He wants to be your friend. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to have deep, meaningful, intimate relationship with you. But he's not your homeboy. You don't just approach him however you want. When it talks about the way Jesus prayed... It talks about in the book of Hebrews, it says that his prayers were heard because of his reverence. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed, holy is your name. 
This is a holy God. This is a mighty God. I come to him with arms wide open. Surrender. I sing. I sing loud. Are you, see what I'm saying? We don't get to determine how we do things based upon our feelings. I remember one time years ago, I was in a church, and I was standing in the back, and the flag people came out. Does anybody know about the flag people? Flag people came out. That's when you know it's about to get real. And so I'm watching these people do their flags. And I'm standing in the back, and I'm thinking, they look silly. I'm just going to be honest with you. I thought to myself, man, they look silly. Immediately, my butt got put in check. And it was like, are you not willing to dance before God? Are you not willing to worship in that way? I started thinking, am I, am I thinking it's silly because I'm ashamed and embarrassed to worship my God in the way that they're open and freely worshiping? Because obviously everything that they're doing is scriptural. Dancing before the Lord is scriptural. So what, what's wrong here? Are they wrong or am I wrong? So I started thinking, well, yeah, well, you know, I would do it, but I don't have a flag. <laughs> would you know that I turned like this and guess what's laying on the table right next to me? A flag. So I grabbed that thing. And the more I twirl it, the more I realize I'm not, I'm not doing enough. <laughs> I'm not fully involved in this. <laughs> I pulled myself out of what was comfortable. Are you seeing what I'm saying? That doesn't mean everybody bring a flag next week and run around. I'm not, that's, that's not... That's not what I'm encouraging. But I, yeah, John, I'll get you. Uh, my point is this. That was an issue with inside of me. They weren't doing anything wrong. That was with me. And so instead of me saying, well, that makes me uncomfortable, I'm not going to go there. I need to realize maybe there's something inside of me. Maybe there's some pride or something inside of me that God is trying to break down. And he's trying to make me a little uncomfortable so that I can become fruitful. Because God's not in this thing for your comfort. He's in it for your fruit. He designed you for a purpose. And when he begins to stretch you, from where you are, your comfort zone, into what he's called you to be, I promise you that will be a very, very uncomfortable situation. And the stretching doesn't stop. Because as soon as you get here and you think, I'm okay, I got one flag, God says, you better grab two. Being silly with the illustration, but you see what I'm saying? He continues to stretch us so that we become fruitful. But what do we do with this? Does our comfort keep the calf? Like this is something that you're going to have to decide because I know there are people in here, you're listening to me right now and you've got to make the decision. I'll either harden my heart and keep the calf or I'm going to listen to what is being said because maybe God is wanting to transform me and change me and that's going to mean that I've got to lose control because step one to crushing the calf is this, lose control. Turn to the person next to you say, you got to lose control. And that's uncomfortable. 
or at least for me, it's uncomfortable because I like to be in control. I realized this when several years ago I had a motorcycle and I loved to ride and I was never fearful of riding. I was completely comfortable, 100% riding this motorcycle. It didn't matter how fast I was going. I loved it and I enjoyed it. Well, one day I had to put my motorcycle in the shop and so my dad followed me on his bike. Well, when I put my bike in the shop to get home, I had to get on the back of my dad's bike, which was a sight for sore eyes to see two grown men <laughs> on a bike together. And we start going. And the turns that I would normally be comfortable with, I'm no longer comfortable with because I'm not in control. The bike needs to lean this way, but I don't want to lean with the bike because it feels uncomfortable. Are you, are you feeling what, hearing what I'm saying? I like to do the speed I want to do. I like to shift when I want to shift. I like to lean how I want to lean. And when I'm on the back of the bike, I have no control and it is very uncomfortable. So losing control will be uncomfortable, but that's what it's all about. It's about a life of surrender of where God is not my way. It's not my will, but it's your will be done. Jesus, take the wheel. Carrie Underwood. Are you following me? Watch your mouth out. <laughs> Crushing the calf means losing control. Are you willing to lose control so that God can take control? Crushing the calf means I lay down my preferences. Get this. I lay down my preferences for his pleasure which means it's not about me. It's not about what I like. It's about, God, what pleases you? Jesus said this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone come after me, like, you want to follow me, Jesus? You want to follow me? You want to be one of my disciples? You want to be one of my followers? Let him deny himself. Whoa. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So you want to follow, it starts with surrender. It starts with denying yourself. And that's a very uncomfortable process because we're so used to doing things the way we've always done it. We've been in Egypt so long, Rock, that that's what I'm familiar with. I'm familiar with the way that they worship. I'm familiar with the way they treat one another. But if I want to come out of this bondage, I've got to deny myself. And true freedom is this. True freedom is being able to worship God. True freedom's not doing whatever I want to do however I want to do it. See, when God released them from Egypt, he did it so that they could go and worship him, not so that they could live life however they wanted. So this part of this, this losing control, this, this giving my life over to him completely is a denying of oneself. The mark of a true believer, watch this, 2 Corinthians 5.14. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he, Jesus, died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for their sake. Are you seeing this? 
when I come into Christ, there is a cutting off of the old man. As he died, I die. That's the significance of water baptism. Just like he was buried, I too am buried. And just as he was raised to new life, I too am raised to new life. There's a cutting off of the old. Doesn't mean I don't, don't still make mistakes. Doesn't mean I get it right all the time because I've still got this body and vehicle of flesh. But the point is, when I miss it, I surrender to him and I say, God, I know that I missed it and I'm relying on the mercy of Jesus Christ for forgiveness and the Holy Spirit to help me correct this in my life. Not, it's okay. Does that make sense? Not, well, I'm fine with this. I'm going to justify this. I'm going to live however I want. No, true salvation is a denying of oneself so that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Watch what he says here. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's true salvation. True salvation is surrender. And we really haven't taught this in the church because we've taken this model where we take the verse found in Romans, the 10th chapter, and we take this verse and we say, well, here's how you get saved. The, the verse says this. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And we say, that's, that's how it works. But we're, we're missing what's actually being said here in this passage. We think if I just say, well, Jesus is Lord, and I believe that in my mind, then I'm saved. But how many of you know the Bible says in the book of James that even the demons believe and they shudder? So it's not a head knowledge thing. It's not just a, a knowing. It's not just a what I say. When you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means I'm giving him the position of lordship in my life. Does that make sense? I'm surrendering my life to live under his rule and reign. I give him the authority. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It is God who works in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Aram died. The moment I received Christ, Aram, the flesh man, this good-looking dude right here dies so that Christ can live and you become Lord which means I don't belong to myself. So you were purchased with a price. You don't belong to you. Your family doesn't belong to you. Your money doesn't belong to you. Not if you want to make him Lord. You want to talk about the Lordship of Jesus Christ? That means everything you are and everything that you have now belongs to him and it is surrendered to him to be used of his good pleasure. That's what it means to make him the Lord of your life. It's not just saying this prayer. There's a lot of people that say the prayer and then go out and live the life the way they want to, never step in the church, never open the Bible, never do anything, and they just believe, well, I'm saved. My question would be, are you? Are you really saved? Because true salvation is going to leave a mark. 
Jesus says, you'll know my disciples because of the fruit. You following that? Which means if you're saved, there's going to be some fruit. Good fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is going to start showing up in your life because you have surrendered yourself to live under his authority. Jesus loves you where you are. Doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been through. He's not here to judge you. He didn't come to condemn you. He came so that you could be saved. But he loves you enough to not leave you where you are. The question today is, what do we do with the calf we have created? What do we do with the idols that all of us, myself included, have set up in our life? Do we crush them? Or do we continue to allow them to lead us and guide us? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I pray for every person that is in this place and for every person who's watching online or listening to the podcast. And we ask, God, that you would touch us today. Lord, don't allow our heart to be so hard that we do not receive the word that you are speaking. But Lord, allow your word to transform us and to change us and to mold us and make us into your image and likeness. Lord, so that we can live for your good pleasure. Father, today we surrender our heart and our life and our mind and everything that we are. God, we surrender it to you to be used by you for your glory and for your honor. And so Lord, I thank you for touching them and changing them and helping them today. In Jesus' name.